She was one of those pretty and charming girls born, as if by an error of fate, into a family of clerks. She had no dowry, no expectations, no means of becoming known, understood, loved, or wedded by a man of wealth and distinction. And so she let herself be married to a minor official at the Ministry of Education. Lightning recap. In Guy de Maupassant's The Necklace, a young warm woman learns the value of jewelry. No, you have a little time. No, you have a little podcast. This is Short Story Short Podcast. We are here today, and by we, I mean me, Christopher J. Baxter, together with... Christy Law Baxter. We're not related. There's not actually, you know. (laughs) Yes, and it has been a week. We are getting rain again in California, which doesn't happen. It's a myth. And I feel like I should be wrapping myself around a cozy cup of cocoa and uh, reading a story that really has the type of ending that just reaffirms everything you've ever believed. What story should that have been? Well, the perfect story for that is uh, Guy de Maupassant's The Necklace. This is a great little story. One of the foundational stories of short story fiction, which most short stories are fiction. (laughs) 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 And Guy de Maupassant is one of, considered one of the masters, along with Chekhov and uh, Kafka, uh, Larry Bird, uh, as the, the masters of the short story from the early version. And this story in particular is... It's really sort of of the moment, I think, because it deals with everything from class designations to uh, what is our obligation to one another to... (laughs) Let me tell you, this story, its main purpose seemed to be to stir up my financial anxiety. (laughs) And yet at the end, it's like, oh, it doesn't really matter. Uh, I, I disagree with you about that, but I think we should talk about the ending closer to um, the part where we stop the podcast. So, um, but... Oh, I see what you're doing there. You want to go we can, chronologically. Yes, we can. And then we can finish off with a nice uh, civil argument where we scream at each other about a short story. Oh, perfect. I like that. I like how that works. That's a very, very social media of you. What's, what's interesting is this is a story of two characters who are bound to their roles in the world. And because of that binding, they find themselves in a uncomfortable scenario financially in particular and I think this really speaks to the insecurity of everyone in the 19th century (laughs) I mean with any sort of mobility being so difficult to obtain 
uh, I can see why there, there was a lot of uh, insecurity there. Uh, it seems like that one shining night at the ball was so out of reach for, for our main character uh, most of her life, except for that one night. And so, yeah, there, there does seem to be um, this, you know, and, and the penalties for being poor were worse than they are even today. I mean, you could get tossed into a workhouse or uh, jailed, you know, for having debts and so on and so forth. So it really could have severe consequences. Mm -hmm. And I think the beauty of being able to play in this sort of realm of character, because they're not quite the destitute, but they're also not well off. They are what we would call lower middle class. They are Archie Bunker. Um, but what's beautiful about that is it is a character type that was never focused on in fiction at that point. You were usually focusing on the exceptionally fun, rich people running around being all exceptionally fun and rich or the absolute downtrodden whose stories are tragic and therefore beautiful. Yeah, this was kind of the, the forgotten class as far as fiction was concerned, because they're so normal and workaday that I guess it's, it's you know, from, from many perspectives, it's hard to find, harder to find the drama inherent in it. But at the same time, you know, you're, you're definitely at a place where you're more likely to fall when you're in that like middle class section. If you're at the bottom, well, I guess there's nowhere to go but up. I mean, it's not great, <laughs> but still, um, if you're at the top, it took a lot because you're so, to, to bring something down because you're so insulated by power and who you know and money. But if you're in the middle, it's hard to go up and it's easy to go down. Yeah. And people always love a good Horatio Alger story, of which I kind of think this is the opposite. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I agree with you on that. Yeah, and I think, you know, she gets to go to a ball. She gets to have that moment. And apparently it was a defining moment for her life. And then she borrows, she borrows a necklace from a relatively rich friend, I think we're supposed to assume. And she loses it. Which is just a, a heart plummeting moment um, for the reader because that is that is actually a nightmare, you know. Like even losing something of your own, I still get a knot in my stomach when I think about you know a, a stone in my wedding band coming out and stuff like that. So to lose something that belongs to someone else is a whole nother story, and it. it sounds terrifying you you're, you've got a friendship on the line you've got money on the line you've got your life on the line um and and there's there's a lot of anxiety inherent in that that the you know the Maupassant manages to just shove right in your stomach yes exactly now instead of just admitting that she'd lost it her and her husband go on a lifetime's quest to earn back all the money <laughs> yeah and they don't go about it in the smartest way you know just, just be honest there would be no story if they just gone if they just done the smart thing and the honest thing and gone to the wealthy friend and said look i'm very very sorry i will do whatever is needed to pay this back and she would have said oh it's, it was only 500 francs no big deal you know and then the story would have ended there and it would have probably uh, never gotten published. 
but instead they do the thing that takes like more legwork and more you know risk by trying to find a necklace that's like it and um end up picking a necklace that's many many times the worth of the original which you know i understand that this in a way is a satire that it is a uh, if you just break out of your if you're doing this whole honor thing and holding that you maintain your obligations at the cost to yourself of anything uh, you will end up inevitably going too far beyond your uh, your obligation this is in a way a pro socialism <laughs> work <laughs> uh, like every work of the 19th century as far as i'm concerned <laughs> i'm with you there uh, yeah but i think there there's a little bit more to it these are people who are keeping their obligation partly because they see it as the only attachment they have to the upper classes. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good point. And I think that that attachment means a lot, that you're looking at a someone who is very tied to appearances, who has never been able to make those appearances real. It reminds me a lot of that uh, saying about, you know, it's applied to Americans. This is a French story with French characters, but it seems to kind of apply, at least to our main character here, about people being uh, just temporarily embarrassed millionaires. Mm -hmm. And there's also an element of fake it till you make it, I think. Yep. Yep. That's definitely in there, too. Yeah. Although eventually <sighs> there's some fake it till you make it. But then after the fake it till you make it, it becomes like nose to the grindstone. Like she basically becomes a washerwoman and, and ages herself like, you know, 30 years and 10. And so there, mm -hmm. there is a lot of very hard backbreaking work in there where it's no longer faking. She's actually like putting in all the work to make sure that this relationship uh, would, would remain because she, you know, as far as her friend knew, she hadn't lost the necklace. Yeah, and here's the thing that I find hilarious is that she just ghosted her <laughs> for like a decade. I mean, if anything, if this story teaches us anything, it's tell the damn truth. Now, see, I would personally not have, have completely ignored my friend for so long. Instead, I would find every time we were talking to change the conversation around to take it another <laughs> Oh, did you see what they're wearing in Paris this week? Um, you know, do something like that. Because uh, that also keeps them on their toes. Yeah, that's true, too. That's, that's, that's another way of doing it. <laughs> I think you meant that's the right way of doing it. Thank you. Th thank you for translating um, me. <laughs> yes. Now, eventually... What happens is they buy a new necklace and give it to what's her name, Lady. Um, it I, is Forestier. Forestier, and then the big reveal happens. Yes, we discover that the replacement necklace was far, far more valuable than the original. 
it was all for nothing. And what actually does bring up a very, very interesting thing. He says, the necklace I lent you was paste. And I have still not figured out what paste is. <laughs> I think paste is just like fake jewels. Hmm. But is it actually like a physical substance or is it like for a class of object? That is an excellent question. And I just kind of made assumptions in having seen this in the past to look it up uh, to see what we can find. It, it refers to glass that has been hand cut to approximate the shape and coloring of diamonds and then polished to shine like a gemstone. So it's just glass. Oh, interesting. We we read another story that had paste in it. Uh, I can't remember which one it was. It might have been might have been a rolled doll. It was one of those. Maybe, maybe. I, I the vast majority of the stories we read. I am sorry to say, I forget as soon as uh, you hit end meeting for all, and it's not because they're forgettable. <laughs> Um, it's just because I don't have room in my brain. And you don't need it. You really don't. <laughs> because it's recorded for all time. Exactly. Why would I ever need to remember this? It's already there, imprinted, and I can listen to it anytime I want. Correct. And, <laughs> and so the, the jewels were fakes. And that makes their entire raison d'etre for the previous years, null and void, or does it? Um, I don't know. That's a good question because de Maupassant leaves us with this, this uh, sort of ambiguous ending because we don't really know the final consequences of this. I mean, there's several different ways that this story could go from, from the ending. It could go to, you know, maybe their, their wealthy friend pays them back all the money for the expensive uh, necklace. Um, and they live high on the hog and are going to balls all the time. Uh, maybe, you know, there's no way of enforcing uh, any sort of payback. And so Madame Postier just kind of is like, well, what a funny story. I'll be sure to tell it at my next salon, which you will not be at because you're poor and will remain so. So there's, a, I mean, she seems like a nice lady, but we don't know. So there's a couple of different ways this could go. And we really, they're very, very different directions. They're polar opposites. They actually, the different ways this could go are uh, remaining at the bottom of the, the pile, uh, as I'm sure our, our main character would think of it, um, where she's ended up from being middle-class. Like I said, it's easy to fall or actually being one of the rare people who's able to uh, go up a notch or two on the ladder. And I think what it also shows is that all that work technically paid off and that had they just applied this without the absolute need, they could have reached that station. And what I think is really interesting is that they're going to, they are going deeper and deeper into the world of the worker and being more working class, being a washerwoman at a time when they are trying to achieve a massive symbol of wealth for someone else. Yeah. That's and, kind of heartbreaking in, in a way. 
Yeah, that to me is a 21st century solid. Yeah, it really is. Oh, I don't like it here. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, this is a sad trombone story. Wah, and, wah. and I think that one of the great things about that is that you can see the through lines to a lot of future stories from here. Of course, the most obvious being O. Henry. And O. Henry stories are very much like this. It's, oh, you sold your hair, your hair to buy me a watch, Bob. I sold my watch to buy you hair ribbons. And for a story we haven't read yet, that we probably should. <laughs> we really should. It's on the list now, the list that I keep in a notebook in my head. There you go. Um, but uh, you can definitely see that this idea of the twist at the end, while not new, I mean, Poe did it as well earlier, but is definitely something that became more and more prevalent as particularly in shorter works as time went on. And part of that was the explosion of magazines in the late 19th and early 20th centuries was that the short story became a potentially profitable to the author form of publishing. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a big moment when sort of a lot of these ideas and twists and, and little bits of, you know, irony kind of spread much further than they'd been able to previously when distribution was a lot more uh, difficult and slow and laborious. Yes, so true. Um, I, really, I really enjoyed this story de Maupassant's writing is a bit, I don't want to say it's dense, but it's definitely thick. It's thick-ish. I wouldn't even say it's not terribly thick. I, I find it uh, pretty, really easily digestible compared to some of the stuff uh, that we've read. Um, I think it's more that he does tend to belabor a point <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely not Tolstoy, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of focus and a lot of, of ink spilled just on the fact that our main character here is a middle-class lady who is pretty and would prefer to be rich, which really, um, not to slam my, my good buddy Guy or anything, is kind of a really basic and shallow character sketch. Uh, yes, these characters are not necessarily 3D. Um, <laughs> uh, it's really interesting. Uh, Michael Krasny of Forum out here in San Francisco, KQED, uh, did a series on the great short stories. And this is one of the ones he covered. And he very pointedly pointed out that characterization is arguably the biggest change that you see evolve throughout the 19th and 20th centuries in stories going from uh, flat to well-rounded characters and uh, even more so than plot which did become more uh, became actually at once less ornate but also less staid uh, as time went on which I, I definitely can understand that idea but I think characterization if you did wrote if he wrote this story today one he could and two I'd be scared because it meant the ghost was writing um <laughs> what isn't that what a ghostwriter is i always thought <laughs> yellow card you've been served uh, 
But no, this definitely this is a story type that would work really well today. But part of the reason for that is one, we come from a very cynical world now, which, hey, what are you going to do? Um, but two, it's because of stories like this that we have gotten to where we are in literature and the arts because we can see now, oh, all of our work is for naught. <laughs> Essentially. I mean, isn't that a lovely feeling? It's, it keeps me warm at night. <laughs> Got anything else on this one there, Christy? Uh, no, I think uh, that's, that's everything I have. I found it to be an interesting story. And uh, the, I did not expect the economic travails and trials of a middle-class French couple to be quite as riveting as they were. Very good, true. Yes, I, uh, I am actually uh, going to uh, go about uh, forcing Vanessa to become a washerwoman, and uh, we're going to uh, buy a really nice necklace. That's why you're a good husband. I'm a great husband. <laughs> hey, hey, Christy. Yes. What are we going to read next time? Next time, we are going to read Of Roses and Kings by Melissa Marr. And that is on Tor.com. And Chris, I do believe you put the links for every next story in the current story show notes, right? I didn't for this last one, but I need to go back and do that. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I, I was not in any... I was not in any way trying to call you out. I was just like, huh, I don't think we've really said that very much on the actual show. So I was like, maybe there are people who don't know. And then, of course, the timing being that uh, you, you didn't do it last time. That's right. I didn't. And uh, I, I specifically meant to go back and do it. And I didn't uh, because uh, I was busy paying off uh, rich people. Um. <laughs> well, I'm glad that I could serve as a reminder. Well, hey. That reminder is that this has been Short Story. Short Podcast.